Before I pray, before we look at God's Word, I just want to say some opening comments. Um, This morning's sermon, I'm just going to let you know, is going to be, uh, it's going to come across as very unbalanced. And that's intentional. I want it to be unbalanced. Uh, We're going to be looking at the topic of death this morning, and I'm going to make sure that it's unbalanced. So I just want you to be aware of that. So if you're thinking, well, why didn't Pastor Peter address the resurrection? Why didn't he address eternal life? It's because I'm being intentional with not doing that this morning. Secondly, if you're here this morning and um, you're not a Christian, I want you to know I'm very thankful that you're here. But I just want you to be aware that everything that I'm saying this morning has one objective. My goal is specifically, directly to speak to Christians, those who have identified with Jesus of Christ, those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Um, my objective is to speak to them this morning. Now, that being said, the things that I speak of today are still relatable to you because it's not just Christians who die. Every human being will face the reality of death. And so my hope for you this morning, if you're not a Christian, is that as I talk about death, that it would cause you to realize that there are more important things than life than just living the good life here and now. That one day you will face death and that one day because of that you will stand before your creator and give an account for your life. And I hope that maybe this morning it would stir you to think about what it means to experience salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. Finally, I also just want you to know that I've provided a bullet, uh, an outline in your bulletin. We're going to be looking at several passages this morning. So instead of trying to keep up with me by trying to turn in your Bible, you can look up some of those passages on your own time. So let's pray, and then we will get into God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you, Lord, that your word does not shy away from addressing the deeper things of life. Things like purpose and meaning and morality and death and eternity. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that would receive your word this morning. And Father, we also want to just take this time briefly to pray for the country of Ukraine. God, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your intervention. We know that you are sovereign over all things. We ask for peace. We pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are seeking ways in which to serve and care for their fellow countrymen. We think of the children in Ukraine. We ask that you would protect them. And we pray, Lord, that there would be peace between Ukraine and Russia. And we pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. When was the last time you contemplated, meditated upon your own death? Or when was the last time you contemplated, meditated on the most certain death of your loved ones? Have you ever done that? These last two years, I believe, in a very general sense, 
demonstrates just how uncomfortable our society is with the reality of death. We have, for the most part, sought to push death to the background of our lives. We've come to believe in some sense that death is abnormal. And so when media outlets were daily reminding people of death, it brought death to the forefront of our society and it crippled much of our society. I think we're a society paralyzed by the potential of death. We've done everything we can as a society to make death seem abnormal. Now, death is not natural. Death is a result of sin. It's a result of the fall. But it is quite normal. I have become more more convinced than ever that one of the great problems of our society is that we are too detached from the reality of death. There are several factors for this, and some of those factors are good. Due to medical advances, there are, for example, far less women who die through childbirth. There are far less infants who die from childbirth. Not to mention that Canada has never really experienced the horrors of war since World War II, and even then, it was still overseas. The average life expectancy in Canada, this is from 2019, was 82 years old. That's a very high life expectancy um, if you were to compare it to Canada 150 years ago. These are all good good things in one sense. But I also think that we as a society have sought to do all that we can to push death out of the public square. We have corners in hospitals where people die rather than having them die in our homes like in the past. We have sought to hide and put it in the background of our lives. We have sought to silence it to make it seem abnormal. You see, if I were to ask you how many people died in Canada from July 2020 to June 2021, what would your best guess be? Any brave guesses? Uh, guesses? From July 2020 to July to June 2021. Any guess for how many people died in Canada? Brian. Pardon? All of them. Not quite, but... <laughs> any, any random guesses? 800? No. Let me say this. The answer is this. 307,132 people died in that one year time span. And think about this. Only about 16,000 of that number were from COVID. There's a lot of reasons why people die. We have sought to forget about death. And I think that this has major damaging consequences for our lives. We've come to believe that our experience over the last 80 years is or should be the norm. We assume that most of us will die in our old age. But that's not actually the norm, historically speaking. All it will take is another world war or another far more severe pandemic to change that perception. I mean, imagine if you had lived during both the First World War and the Second World War. Imagine the amount of death you would have seen. 
I'm reading a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life. It's the second time I'm reading it. And I was stunned when I rediscovered that Dietrich's parents lost their oldest son at the age of 19 in World War I. And then they lost their youngest son, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at the end of World War II when he was assassinated by Hitler at the age of 39. But that was the norm during that time. And so this morning, all I want to do is take that which we've pushed to the back of our minds and bring it to the front. I want to help us contemplate, think about the reality of our own deaths. And here's why. It's Christian to do so. It's biblical. And I believe the more we contemplate our own death as Christians, the more effective and faithful we will be as disciples of Jesus. See, here's my goal this morning. If you're a Christian, a follower and lover of Jesus, you've been saved by his blood. My goal is to help us feel our own mortality the certainty and nearness of our own deaths so that we would live more productive lives. And when I say productive, I don't mean productive in a worldly sense, a worldly success and accomplishments. No, no, no. When I say productive, I mean that we would be far more intentional in pursuing the virtuous life that God intends for us and that we would be devoted to serving God and others. So that's what I'm hoping to do this morning. It is the place in the foreground, what we so often seek the place in the background. I want each of us to come face to face with our own death, to meditate upon our own mortality. So that like Moses, we would say, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so the first thing that I want us to see, according to the scripture, and it's obvious, but it should be stated, is that your death is inevitable. Your death is inevitable. My death is inevitable. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says this, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. The end of all mankind ends... In mourning, and the living will lay it to heart. I have often in conversations said to people that I prefer funerals over weddings, at which they look at me with great disturbance. But it's biblical. It's biblical. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind. Our lives end in mourning because our end is death. Weddings are great, but funerals make us think upon eternity. Funerals make us think upon the things that truly matter. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. You think about all the things that we as human beings have power over. We can control nature. We can create new things to help us fight diseases and all these different other avenues. We can create weapons that can destroy the whole human race, but we have no power over the day of death. 
Psalm 89, 48, what man can live and never see death? Death is inevitable. Death is following you, and one day death will catch you. I mean, if you think about it, COVID did not remotely increase your chance of death. All it did was create another means by which you could die. But each of us were just as sure to die before COVID and now with COVID present. COVID didn't change that reality. The same is true when we think about war. War has never increased death in our world. At best, it's merely brought death faster. C.S. Lewis, reflecting on war and death, once said this, What does war do to death? Well, it certainly does not make it more frequent. A hundred percent of us die, and the percentage cannot be increased. Does it increase our chances of a painful death? I doubt it. Does it decrease our chances of dying at peace with God? I cannot believe it. If active service does not persuade a man to prepare for death, what conceivable sequences of circumstances would? He goes on to say, reflecting on the reality of war and the nuclear bomb, as a Christian, I take it for granted that human history will someday end, and I am offering omniscience, that is God, no advice as to the best date for that consummation. I am more concerned by what the bomb, that is the atomic bomb, is doing already. One meets young people who make the threat of it a reason for poisoning every pleasure and evading every duty in the present. Didn't they know that bomb or no bomb? All men die, many in horrible ways. There's no good moping and sulking about it. That's his Britishness coming out. The atomic bomb, war, nuclear missiles today, pandemics... Do not increase your chance of death. All of us will die from one cause or another, and for the great majority of us, our deaths will be painful. Very few die peacefully in their sleep. Isn't it crazy when, when you think about all the incredible technological advances we have made as a human civilization that we still can't beat death? We've put people on the moon. We're able to transfer a person's heart to another person's heart or to another person and that person is allowed to live longer, but they still die. We, we've created weaponry that with the click of a button could erase all of human civilization. We've made technology so small that I can literally in a matter of seconds communicate with someone across the other side of the world. We've made incredible medical advances, and yet we still have not been able to stop the slow de decay of death over humanity. And here's why. Death is the result of sin. Death is the result of sin. And the only cure for sin is the blood of Jesus. Death is inevitable, and therefore it's important to reflect upon your own death, to allow the reality of death to be instilled within your life. See, I really believe my parents intentionally, from a young age, introduced me to the reality of death. I still remember when I was eight or nine, seeing my first corpse of a dear sister in the Lord who had died of cancer. 
I remember my parents made me go with them to look upon her body. And I'll never forget that moment. I remember in early high school, we went to see my Aunt Rose, who was dying of cancer just days before she died. My parents wanted me to see the effects of sin and death in our world. Parents, I want to say this to you. Do not hide your children from the reality of death. You are doing them a disservice. We will all die, and pushing it into the background will not remotely help anyone when death comes. Nor will it help anyone live a meaningful, purposeful life. I actually think one of the weapons of Satan, in one sense, is to try and keep death in the background of people's minds. C.S. Lewis, if you've read his, his book, The Screwtape Letters, if you haven't, you should. It, he, he gives this conversation, basically, this dialogue between Screwtape, who is a, a senior demon, speaking to Wormwood, the junior demon. And basically, they're, they're constantly dialoguing about how do we get humanity on Satan's side, away from God, and, 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 and really enslaved to sin and death, rather than them following after Jesus. And one of the things that they talk about in this dialogue, this conversation, is, is how comfortableness and security and worldly contentedness is actually a means by which to keep people enslaved to Satan. And death, the reality of death and war wakes people up to realize they need to think about eternity. So this is, this is what, this is what Screwtape, the senior demon, says to Wormwood, the junior demon. How disastrous for us, that is for us demons, is the continual remembrance of death, that is remembrance of death for humans, which war enforces. One of our best weapons, one of our best temptations Contented worldliness is rendered useless. In wartime, not even a human can believe that he is going to live forever. See, Satan wants you to experience a level of contented worldliness, comfortability, security, pleasure, prosperity, so that you would fall asleep. And not think about eternity, not think about the reality of death. And war has a way of waking us up to the reality of death. Death is inevitable and the only question that really matters is, is will you be ready when death comes for you? Not only is death inevitable, but the day of your death is set. That is, the day of your death has already been determined by God. There are several passages that demonstrate this, but I'm just going to read two for you. Psalm 139, 16, which is a beautiful passage about David expressing how God has knit him together in his mother's womb. But then he says this, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them. One of what? The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. There's a book that God has, and that book contains the specific days of our lives, and this was a reality before any of our days came about. Your days are numbered, numbered by God. Not only that, Luke 12, 22 to 25, 
This is a, the passage about not being anxious, not being worried about what you will eat or drink. And this is what Jesus says. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And then he says this shocking sentence. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That is convicting. And it is this disturbing sentence by Jesus. I don't believe Jesus is suggesting that, therefore, if your days are numbered, you live foolishly because the day of your death is determined. No, no, he wants us to live with reason and wisdom. But here's what we need to see. Here's how disturbing these words are. If you have taken every precaution that is possible due to worry and anxiousness regarding COVID and the potential of death, in all of that... You have not added a single hour to your span of life. Again, I'm not suggesting that one be irresponsible and unwise, but I am suggesting that we have convinced ourselves that our choices and decisions are the ultimate determining factor for whether or not we get sick and ultimately die. We really are enslaved to the illusion that we have control over our lives and control over how and when we will die. You see, if you spend all your time avoiding the potential of death, understand this, you will still die exactly when God has intended for you to die. Listen, to know that the day of our death has already already been determined by God, is unbelievably liberating for those who are in Christ. It means, as Henry Martin said, you are immortal until God's purpose for you is complete. It means that you can live courageously and take risks for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of others. See, one of the things that has greatly concerned me over the last two years is to see how much we have justified fear and how we have valued safety above almost anything else. It's not just lust and pleasure and material things that can become idols, brothers and sisters. Fear and safety can be idols as well. As R.R. Renault in his article called Safetyism states, Our souls are disordered when we fear death and other physical evils to such a degree that we fail to fulfill our duties to God and others. Our souls are disordered when we fear death and other physical evils to such a degree that we fail to fulfill our duties to God and others. Hans Borsma, one of my favorite writers, wrote an article called Courage During the Plague. He's reflecting on a historical novel on how Christians in the medieval medieval period dealt with plagues. And in his reflection, he, of course, compares it to our present day. 
And he argues, of course, that though fear is real, Christians have the duty to be courageous even in the midst of fear and in the midst of plague. But he says these words that are startling. During this pandemic, we have focused so much on protecting the body that we have lost sight that the pandemic actually can be more harmful to the soul than the body. If we allow the pandemic to cause us to live in fear and primarily in protecting ourselves. This is what he says. Fear may be powerful, but courage is called for all the same. During a pandemic, we are to keep our eye on the soul. For pandemics can harm the soul even more than the body. Perhaps more than anything, we need to recover a sense of horror at a culture that allows our fears to trump every sense of obligation to the dead, the sick, and the elderly. Now what he's saying there is he's speaking in the context of how we have isolated the the elderly from everyone else. We've allowed them to die alone, all because of the fear of death. We've not allowed loved ones to be and see their loved ones before they breathe their laughs. We've not allowed people to, to celebrate and come around and remember people who have died from sickness or from other causes because of COVID. We need to recover a sense of horror at a culture that allows our fears to trump every sense of obligation to the dead, the sick, and the elderly. During a pandemic, we are to keep our eye on the soul. For pandemics can harm the soul even more than the body. Brothers and sisters, the day of your death has already been determined. So here's my exhortation to you. Stop being anxious about your potential death and start living for the glory of God and for the sake of others. Your death has already been determined. Thirdly, your death is closer than you think and feel. It is closer than you think and feel. Most of us live our lives assuming, for example, if you're 30, that you got another 30 or 40 years. That we got all the time in the world. If you're in high school, you probably think you got another 70, 80 years. We don't live with a sense of urgency because we live assuming that we're going to die in our old age. Yet even if that were true, it's still closer than you feel and realize. Most of us think that we are traveling down river thinking that we have 100 kilometers before the waterfall. But what if we only have a kilometer or less than a kilometer before the waterfall? Our typical assumption about life and death, when someone dies suddenly, the typical response is, it was a complete shock to us all. We all do that. But that statement reveals an assumption about how we think about death. See, most of us, when we wake up in the morning, never remotely think that by evening we could be dead. Most of us, when we place our head on our pillows, assume that we will awake tomorrow. Most of us are always thinking about what the future holds and not thinking that we may not have a future. And there's a reason for this. In our arrogance and pride, we really don't feel our mortality as we ought. 
This is precisely what James argues in James 4, 13 to 16, which I read um, during our confession. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. You see, James is suggesting the reason we live with this assumption that we got all these years ahead of us is because we don't truly sense our own mortality. We do not truly sense and feel that we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And this is why he contends that this mindset that doesn't acknowledge the Lord's will is a mindset rooted in arrogance and pride. And this is why the psalmist in Psalm 39, 4-5 cries out to God in the midst of suffering and says, O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. He's asking God to reveal how fleeting he is because he doesn't know. He doesn't feel how short and how temporary he is. He doesn't sense his own mortality as he ought. And it's the same for us as well. And then he goes on, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreaths. That is, four fingers That's your life. You've made my days four fingers thick. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Do you feel that? Do you sense how fleeting your life is? How short it is? I turned 34 this week. Which means, Lord willing, Lord willing, I will have maybe another 35 years of meaningful ministry. But that assumes a lot. It assumes that I remain healthy. It assumes that our our society doesn't experience war. It assumes that Gracie stays healthy. It assumes a lot of things. And if I live by that assumption that I have another 30 years of faithful ministry, I don't think I'll be as effective as I could be for the Lord than if I assumed that every day that I wake up could be my last day. You might not know this, but I try to, when I preach, think about the fact that this may be the last time I ever preach. And I also try to think about the fact that this may be the last time you ever hear the word of God preached. I am a dying man preaching to die. I am a dying man preaching to dying people. Understand this, brothers and sisters. Death is closer than you think and closer than you feel. If death were a person, he's far closer to your doorstep than you realize. If death were a person, he will slowly make his way down every street and to every home. He may not be at your street yet, 
He may not be at your door. He may be a few streets over or a hundred kilometers away. Nevertheless, at some point, death will turn on your street and death will knock on your door. And whether you answer the door or ignore it, it won't matter. He will come for you and he will find you. Death is closer than you think and feel. Death is inevitable. Death, your death has been determined by God, and it is closer than you think and feel. So how ought we respond as Christians? Well, the first is this. We ought to ask God to regularly help us feel our own mortality. As David prays, let me know how fleeting I am. I want to know that. I want to feel that. It is profitable to know our own frailty and mortality. The securities and prosperity and comforts of our society have made us numb to our own mortality. But if we want to make the most of life in a godly sense, then we need to feel how fleeting our lives are. We need to know that our time is short. As Matthew Henry states, When we look upon death as a thing at a distance, we are tempted to adjourn the necessary preparations for it. But when we consider how short life is, we shall see ourselves concerned to do what our hand finds to do, not only with all our might, but with all possible expedition. Secondly, make the most of the time given to us, whatever that time may be. And here's a good summary of what I think making the most of the time looks like. Simply this. Enjoy life and serve Jesus. Enjoy life and serve Jesus. Or you could put it this way. Enjoy life by serving Jesus. Too many of us are anxious about the future. But we know nothing of the future except what God has revealed in his word. You cannot add a single hour to your life by being anxious about the future. Live in the present, enjoy life, and serve Jesus. As Ecclesiastes 3, 12-13 says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, that is humanity, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Enjoy life and serve Jesus. I think C.S. Lewis captured this idea so well when he was thinking about the atomic bomb. I believe I've read this before in another sermon, but he said this. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not Darts is weird. I don't know why you do that. (laughs) Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. Any microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. Listen, I'm going to be honest. I have seen over these past two years, Christians who were once so joy-filled become so anxious about what's happening in our society that they have lost their joy. And they have paralyzed themselves from living all out for Jesus in the present. Whether they're anxious about COVID 
or even government overreach. Make the most of the time given to you, brothers and sisters. Enjoy life and serve Jesus. Thirdly, live with the assumption that death is not 30 years from now, but tomorrow. I think we need to renew our thinking and change our assumptions. See, we are shocked when someone dies young, when we ought to be shocked when someone dies old. That says something about our assumptions. Thomas Akempis, I, I think, gives some very good counsel on what it looks like to live with death ever before you. Listen to these short sentences by him. Each morning, imagine to yourself that you won't last till evening. And when the night comes, don't make bold to promise yourself a new day. Be ready for it all the time, so live that death cannot take you unawares. If you hope to live well and wisely, try to be here and now the man or the woman you would want to be on your deathbed. Make it your business so to live today that you can meet death with a smile, not with a shudder when it comes. Every action of yours, every thought, should be those of a man who expects to die before the day is out. Now that might be really strong language, but I think there's a point there that we ought to heed. And that is this. We ought to live with the assumption that death is nearer than it is further. Death is nearer than it is further. I want to end off by reading a poem by the missionary C.T. Studd. He was a missionary to China, and he wrote this poem called Only One Life. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, Thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ 
will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, help us to know how fleeting we are. And help us to live in light of the fact that death is at our doorstep. That we would give our lives fully to you, to your service and to the service of others for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.